And I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to give this a real go and focus on my Etsy shop and Edevy, which does sound crazy. But honestly, it wasn't such a crazy jump to make just because the biggest jump I made was moving to France in the first place. And when you leave the US rat race or like the work structure that is put in front of us, and you break that already by moving abroad, I was like, I'm abroad. And I shouldn't feel miserable. I already did the hard part. Why not just try? Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Flourish in the Foreign, the podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad, while also exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman currently based in Spain. I am not only a podcaster, but I'm also a business strategist that helps Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their expertise into viable and sustainable online businesses, businesses that make them professionally fulfilled as well as financially abundant while they pursue thriving lives abroad. If you have not grabbed my Build a Business Abroad guide, please do. I also have my Moving Abroad with Intention guide. So if you're at the beginning of your move abroad, or even if you're abroad, I think it's a great guide to help you really evaluate your reasons for going abroad and living abroad and ensuring that you are moving and making a decision that's truly in alignment with your vision of a life well-lived. You can also grab that on the website. As y'all know, Flourish in the Foreign is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. And so I ask you all to please support this here podcast. You can support by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash Flourish Foreign. You can tip the podcast via Cash App at dollar sign Flourish Foreign. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Flourish Foreign. You can purchase a piece of production equipment via the podcast's Amazon wishlist, which you can find at the website flourishintheforeign.com slash support. And of course, please rate and review this here podcast. If you've been listening for a while and you really like the podcast, but you haven't written a review, Go ahead and remedy that today, please. Thank you very much. Continue to share this podcast with all of your friends, your family, blogs that you like, other podcasters. Nominate the podcast for awards or grants or whatever. I just appreciate the support. So thank you all so, so much. All right, on to the next episode. I wanted to take some time to really not only celebrate, but to elevate the stories of Black women building businesses abroad. I think that 
sometimes people think it's very abstract like oh being an entrepreneur and people usually have maybe one notion of what being an entrepreneur abroad looks like and sometimes that scares them off from even trying and i just wanted to create this compilation of the amazing women that i've had on the show so far who are out here building incredible businesses across industries so that in case you thought you couldn't do it, know that you can definitely do it. So here are the incredible ladies of Flourish in the Foreign talking about how and why they built their business abroad. First up, we have Valerie. And if you remember Valerie's story from the very beginning of Flourish in the Foreign, she is from California and she is based in Perth, Australia. Her story to entrepreneurship is so fascinating. So if you haven't heard her story, definitely go back and check out her episode. Here she talks about how she developed Ayune Hair, which is an ethical hair brand that she got the idea and really started putting in motion when she lived in Bali. And she speaks about not only how, but also the why of creating this brand. So Ayune is a Javanese word. So Java is in Indonesia, and INA means beautiful. What we do is we, we celebrate the depths of beauty. There are so many layers to what beauty really is, and that's what we, we celebrate. I've been natural since 2008. I chopped my relaxed ends off, and I love my natural hair. I wore it in this cute, tiny little fro for years until it would grow, and I'd play with different styles. And when I, I moved here, I kept my hair out in its natural beauty. And then I got to a point where I just wanted to play around with my hair. In African culture, that's a big part. We have different styles, and it's a form of art. It's a form of expression, self-expression. And I wanted to wear extensions just to remember what I look like with it on and play with that look. And also as a protective style because my hair was starting to break from the change in weather. And braids are so expensive to get in Australia. That's one thing I should tell any black woman that wants to move here. You're paying about, you know, 250 to 300. And then if you want to buy like the braiding hair, it's about 15 or $20 per pack. It's so crazy. Anyway, so I wasn't thinking about starting a business. I just wanted to buy extensions and, and I went online and I just, I was already in my process of like my spiritual journey and nothing resonated with me online. It was a lot of airbrushed photos and just these really perfect images. And I just, I didn't see myself in these stories. And also like I noticed, especially, you know, like on Alibaba and places like that, AliExpress, that they were stealing photos from influencers and putting it as if that was the hair that they were selling. And I just think, wow, how deceitful and deceptive. I can't trust you at all. I decided that I wanted to start my business, INA Hair. I wanted to highlight in this everlasting journey that we're all interconnected and we always will be. It took a lot of work because when you're trying to do a mission or purpose-driven business, people aren't really going to care that much about that. They, they just want to sell you something. They don't care like what your, in, your intentions are. They're like, this is cheap hair, just buy it. And I'm like, no, I want to know about the process. So it was a lot of, again, trial and learning and having a lot of doors closed in my face or feeling really sad about like the fact that people lack integrity that they were okay with harming other people in order to make money and I just it didn't sit well with me eventually I found like some people 
they believe in my story and then they connected me with the right people. And eventually I found um, a process that really resonated with me. We don't collect hair from women who feel this pressure or even this need to make a spiritual sacrifice to shave their hair. We, we don't collect hair that way. We only collect fallen hair strands. So we have about 250 hair strands that fall out of our head a day, and the women simply co collect their hair strands and they sell it to us. They make money in areas where you see some of the poorest populations, and it's not a get-rich kind of process, but it's an ongoing flow of income for them. And I love that. And the other thing is that the vendors that I work with, I've spent time in these villages, and they were shocked to see me. They said I was the first black woman that they'd ever seen. They always see men, number one, and they definitely don't see a woman of color that looks like me. And I think that really meant something to them. I mean, my relationship with the, the vendors, I, I wish them like a Merry Christmas. I, I've checked in on them with the coronavirus and I say, I can't wait to see you again. And they're sending me messages like, we can't wait to see you too. And it's a really beautiful relationship and everything that comes out of INA hair embodies that. And it's a, it's a beautiful journey. And I really hope that INA hair resonates with all women who feel like they are ready to be a more mindful being. Next, we have Barbara, who is an international talent acquisition specialist. If you remember from her episode, she spoke about how and why her and her husband decided to move their family to Jordan, and also how her sons have been able to thrive in Jordan. Barbara also has an incredible business called Going Global with Barbara, and I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about how and why she built it. I started Going Global with Barbara and put together tours and travel programs for youth organizations, for individuals and adult groups that just needed someone to map it out for them and hold their hand for a trip that would help them have that international experience that they envisioned for themselves. I just believe in the power of travel to broaden our horizons and our perspectives and even see our own lives, ourselves and our home countries better by gaining this broader perspective. I wanted to provide opportunities for as many young people and even adults who are reluctant travelers or fearful travelers to have this experience. Sometimes we just need someone to show us the way. I have two children here with me in Jordan, but I actually have four sons altogether. My older two sons are in college and in the States. And I began traveling with all of the kids very early on because I wanted them to have a global perspective on themselves and on life. And I want that for all of our children. So I have two locations that I'm focusing on right now. One, I have a highlights of the Hashemite Kingdom tour. And I also have a, a group trip for Paris. Paris is what I call my heartbeat city, just the vibe, the energy, the food, the friends that I've made there. For lots of people that want to go to Europe, Paris is just an ideal location. But the tour is unique. It's not just about seeing the Eiffel Tower. It is specifically structured and designed with African-American youth and adults in mind. You will take the Black History Tour with Entree to Black Paris. You will visit the places where Richard Wright and James Baldwin lived and worked and Josephine Baker, you will come to have a greater understanding through this tour of the connection, this symbiotic relationship that has been in existence for generations between African-Americans and the city of Paris. 
As recently as a few years ago, Ta-Nehisi Coates relocated to Paris to have the experience of Baldwin as a writer. He wanted to see what inspired him and how the energy changed his writing and influenced him. It's something that's gone on for generations. There's such value looking beyond the touristic icons of Paris and looking deeper into the relationship that our community has had in the United States and in Paris. And we put together a panel discussion with African-American expats living and working and studying in Paris. And they meet with our young people and talk to them about why they made the decision to study in Paris and what their experiences have been like and, and answer their questions. And it's just an amazing exchange where you see these young people looking into the faces and hearing the voices of people that look and sound like them. And you can feel them growing to a place where they could see themselves possibly making that same decision. And that's an incredible experience. It's exactly why I created Going Global. Next, we have Helena. And if you remember, Helena's story is one in which she was a Peace Corps volunteer in Togo and did a lot of international development work on the continent of Africa. And then many years later, she decided to move to Thailand for some deep physical and emotional and spiritual healing. And now she's actually currently in Rwanda, thriving. But in her episode, I asked her about how she developed her freelance writing business. And I also asked her to give you all some advice on becoming digital nomads. I'm a freelance writer. I do corporate blogging as well as book ghost writing for VIP clients. And so the inspiration for that came from while I was working in adult education, I had started doing things like blogging. I just needed a space to be able to talk about the work that I was doing in adult education, as well as being interested in sort of sharing what I was doing so that I could be paid for teaching gigs, gigs, side gigs, consulting jobs, and things like that. So this was me sort of putting my um, toe in the water, so to speak, to be able to find what my freedom would look like. And so I said, well, I can do consulting work or teaching things on the side people can pay me for. And so I used blogging as a way to be able to explain to people what I did as an adult educator, but also to be able to connect with people who are higher up. That was really how my my writing business really started. It was more so to be able to market my skills more so than to be paid for the actual task of writing. So in that process, I learned a lot about things like search engine optimization and just being able to find an audience and connect with them so that I can build an audience around what it is that I was doing and all sorts of things. And those are all things that I've been able to use even today as I write blog posts for, for various corporations. I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs or people who did side gigs or, or anything like that. So I had to go through that learning process on my own of, of learning that if you don't do the work, if you don't do your marketing work, you don't get paid. You, you don't have someone who's always standing over your shoulder telling you all the time what to do, how to do it, when certain things should be finished. It's up to me as the business owner to be able to create all of those boundaries for myself 
so that I can have a business that is consistent and brings in cash on a regular basis that I can really count on. So I would say learn a marketable skill that people can pay you for and to do that while you still have a regular job well before you take the leap to go overseas. Next, we have Tanisha. And with Tanisha's episode, she spoke about her journey of becoming a wine professional in Paris after her career in tech in Washington, D.C. And Tanisha has developed an incredibly popular brand called Girl Meets Glass. And I asked her to talk about what was the impetus for the creation of Girl Meets Glass and how has it evolved over the years? It was very scotch taped putting it together. Okay. At first it was just, all right, let me do some tours for my friends and we're just going to walk around and see how it goes. The idea came because when people found out what I was doing here, they were like, oh, I don't know about wine. Can you help me with wine? Can you go to the shop with me? Can you help me figure this out? Can you help me figure that out? I was like, all right, let's do it. And I'm like, well, other people might want this information. Let me kind of make this an official thing. And uh, I put the tours on uh, Viable and Vital. I got booked on Viable, went on the tour. It was horrible. First tour was horrible. The guy on the tour was mean. It was him and his wife. Mean. Had He had feedback and a lot of it and had no problem telling me what he didn't like about it and what I needed to do different. I never got booked again on Viable ever. So whatever he said, he said it to somebody who knew something and never got booked on that service again. But yeah, I can't delete my tour off of there. So there, there we have it. But Viator, which is now part of uh, TripAdvisor, I get booked through them uh, often. And uh, that's how people would find me through word of mouth. And then my rating was good. So people will find me that way. But business is registered here under my name. I'm registered as an auto entrepreneur and I provide furthering education for adults. And so this is one education. That's how it's registered. I had someone help me with that process because, again, this was early on. And that level of French did not know it. Like legal, fill out form French. Nope. Will somebody help me with that? So I have a professional liberal visa, and that's a visa that you can get as an auto entrepreneur, which is just an entrepreneur. And that means you work freelance. I don't have the authority to get a work contract or work on a contract. Everything I do is freelance. Also wanted to know, how had Girl Meets Glass evolved over the years? Ooh, so much. One, my tours are so much better now. I have relationships with the vendors and the uh, places that I go to. And it is a much better experience when I'm in those places now. I have expanded it to day trips to Champagne. I have a driver for those trips. So the driver picks us up at whatever Airbnb or hotel the guests are staying at. I also teach at universities here in Paris. I've gotten back into that. and I'm teaching at two different places, one for French students and one for American students studying abroad. Yeah, it has just evolved. I've gotten better at what I do. I've been able to make and build relationships. Started a, a wine podcast. I'm planning to do uh, and be more consistent with YouTube and doing YouTube videos. I'm working on a wine bar guide for Paris. And so my business is evolving in that way. I'm now looking to move more into tourism outside of Paris into other wine countries within France. And online learning, 
whether it's just virtual tastings or it is full online courses that people could sign up for and then the course works for them. And uh, even doing online classes as it relates to wine tourism. So doing it more regional instead of like, oh, well, this grape is Merlot and this is Cabernet Sauvignon. I want to do it regional. So this is the wine region of Languedoc. This is the wine region of Bordeaux and doing it that way. Next, we have Nubia. And if you remember Nubia's story of just being a digital nomad around the world, living that life, she first landed in Thailand, where she met her co-host for the popular podcast Chronicles Abroad, Francis. And then she's traveled and then landed in Mexico, where now she has an incredible community, Black in Tulum, that's doing quite well. But Nubia is actually a serial entrepreneur. And she has many businesses and so i asked her to talk about her various ventures that she is involved with and why she decided to go the route of entrepreneurship i just have a love and a passion for entertaining period and hospitality has always been my thing when i would share my stories and i would share my photos and i would post online and all of those things i would get people in my inbox like oh my goodness, I would love to meet you. And I started inviting people. (laughs) I was like, sure, let me know when you're down here. We'll hang out. And I started touring people around. And that's how being a tour guide started. And then I started hosting trips. And then I hosted a retreat. And all of those things happened as I was just doing what I normally love. But it was becoming exhausting because I was doing it for free. I just wanted to meet new people, connect and have a good time with them and show them a good time. That to me was all I wanted to do, but I needed to make money doing it. Then I started charging for like travel guides. People were in my inbox like, hey, I'm thinking of going to this particular place with my girlfriends for a girl's getaway or a family reunion or um, a romantic getaway. What do you suggest? Where should we go? Where should we stay? What should we eat? And I'm like, what? How about I just write guides (laughs) and you can buy them or you you can hire me to actually curate your experiences. I had gotten clients doing that. I was curating their individual or personalized experiences. I was doing curated travel. I was doing touring people in the country that I was in. And then while I was in Mexico, a friend of mine was like, you've heard of Up in the Air Life? And I'm like, yeah, of course. I know Claire Bear. I've heard of her. I've seen her. I met her before. And she's like, well, listen, I went on her Croatia, like her mega yacht trip, and I had a ball. She was like, I could really see you working with them, maybe curating a travel or touring one of their trips. And I was like, okay, let me reach out to her. I sent Claire a message on Facebook Messenger. She's like, sure, let's, let's meet for breakfast. I was like, all right. Girl, I met for breakfast by that night. I got hired as the director of Up in the Air Life, and I curate upscale four-star experiences for our luxury clients, and that became my next, you know, venture. And then with not the pandemic and everything, I had to make a pivot and shift a little bit. So I started working on our social media, and I started taking social media marketing classes and digital marketing classes, and I was getting certified for these things. And I was taking hospitality management again, just as a refresher and sustainable um, tourism. I had done so much over the last 60 days that I'm now starting a 
marketing business. You know what I mean? Because I'm already doing it. You find things that you love. You find things that you're good at. You do them and you and you make a way. Another thing is with this pandemic, a lot of people are talking about moving abroad and being serious about it. So I decided to offer expat coaching and I have a client that I'm working with one-on-one to help her make her move abroad. And she's my beta client. And once I'm done with my beta client, I already started my coaching program and I'll be helping people to move abroad without them having to go through the hassle of countless hours of research that's really not going to get you anywhere. You really need to talk to somebody. You really need to sit and ask these people question after question after question to make sure you really have a good understanding. There's so many things that you miss just because you ask a question on social media. That's great. You get that answered, but there's much more. So it's been a whirlwind and being home When I say home, I I say that very loosely because I'm extremely nomadic. I'm not an expat, which is two different things. I move about this world very uh, loosely. I'm just like, okay, I'm ready to go. Let me go buy a ticket and go to the next place. I have a beautiful apartment in Playa del Carmen that has a wonderful, huge kitchen. And I got back into the kitchen and started cooking and started grilling and started creating. And I launched my very first cookbook. And that's been doing great. And now people are asking for like a YouTube channel and the tutorials. And I'm just like, wow, the the opportunities are absolutely endless. They're endless. But I might not always have a chef's kitchen or a, a nice kitchen to cook in. That kind of makes me think like, should I do the cooking thing? But why not? Why not? Maybe I can teach people how to cook when, when you don't have all of the necessary resources available. I don't know. But that might be next on the horizon is like a cooking show. Next, we have Autumn Marie. And Autumn Marie's story is so great. If you remember, she was based in New York and got married and her and her husband decided to move to Mauritius together. And now they're based in Rwanda. Autumn Marie is a PR professional and she decided to utilize her skills and her many years of experience in music and entertainment in New York to build something really incredible in Kigali, Rwanda. And I'm gonna let her tell you all about the why she created it, but also her experience building a business in Rwanda. When I first got here, I was going to take a hiatus. That lasted a few months and I started getting into doing some events. Friend I have in South Africa who used to live in New York needed something done in Rwanda and contracted me to do that, which side note, I will say once you move abroad, and really start getting in those communities, you will be amazed at how many other people live abroad (laughs) or other friends will start thinking about moving abroad or going abroad. It's kind of when you get a car and then you start seeing your car everywhere, you start realizing how many people you already know that live in other countries and how much people move around. And your circle just starts to be way more global than regional or local. And so, yeah, we happen to be on the continent, did that, and that just reawakened me to wanting to do stuff. Overall, when I first got here to Rwanda, I had already read about Uganda, which is the collective work day that happens once a month where everything in the country shuts down until 11 a.m. And the reasoning is, is because there is collective work of might be clearing a field, it might be helping to smooth a road, but literally you as your community does that together. 
and you're expected to be there. Everybody who's basically 18 to 65 and there's nothing that's open except for hotels everything else because how can you be at work if you're supposed to be doing your community work let's alleviate that problem keep stuff closed and I had read about that and just loved it in a the essence of it in terms of communal politics and things that I believe in politically. I already knew that it was one of the like cleanest and safest places on a continent and in the world for that matter. The, the highest number of women in parliament globally and has had that for many years. I had read about these things, but then coming here and experiencing them, totally different, totally different. Just being able to see them was amazing. Being able to see Car Free Sunday that happens every other week, twice a month, year round. And then being able to see the president out sometimes working out with the people. That was just amazing. When everyone's talking about building green cities. And now this is happening and it's just amazing. To be able to just see that happening here and a vibrancy of it inspired me. And I was like, yeah, I did not get this full narrative together. And I don't feel other people are either because many people will still make the ignorant jokes around Hotel Rwanda or use that as a reference point or they know the gorillas or they might at this point, it's been popping up in the news a lot more. They might know one cool thing that happened here, but not the narrative of this whole thing. That just as someone who does communications, brand marketing, PR, we need to tell this story. We just meaning people, period, and people here. And how do I use my experience to be able to provide some of that for what's happening? Not to come in and take that over, but to provide platform skills. So I built a company, Kigali Forward, as a mission-based PR, marketing, brand, agency. If we're looking at the issue being the fact that the narrative is very limited, then how do we look at a, a creative solution for it? And how do we approach it as a social entrepreneur that's solving for something and as an impact entrepreneur and using marketing as a tool to do so? And that is what the company is built around and being able to do that and basically be able to expand and shift the narrative and being able to tell the stories of Remarkable Rwanda, the brands that are doing the work here, the organizations that are doing the work, the events that are happening that do tell that narrative. I asked Autumn to walk me through the process of registering a business in Rwanda. Rwanda is the second easiest place on the continent to do business. Shout out to Rwanda. And you can literally start a business online in a few minutes. It's that simple. I went in because I had a couple of questions, but you can't, and even that, you just go in to RDB, to development board, and it's literally that simple to start a business here. And that is, that's one of the huge things that Rwanda is known for, is that it makes doing business, and it makes starting a business very easy. Uh And just support around it, the fact that The different government agencies are very accessible. There's an American Chamber of Commerce here now for people who are from the States, who have U.S.-based businesses or businesses here that have large people from the States, amounts of people from the States working for them. You can join American Chamber of Commerce. You're able to get information and be able to talk to other entrepreneurs and other entrepreneurs from the States. But early on, there was a Kigali entrepreneurs group I found on Facebook. When I was thinking about starting my company, I started going, they would have lunch once a month. And it was people from everywhere. 
and people with all different types of businesses. When I would go to lunch, if you had a question, you would kind of just throw questions around if people were had a question around taxes or something else and just being able to meet up with other entrepreneurs who were here. Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you are, please consider supporting the podcast by either becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash flourish foreign, tipping the podcast via cash app at dollar sign flourish foreign, buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign, or purchasing a piece of production equipment via our Amazon wishlist at flourishintheforeign.com slash support. I also want to invite you all to check out the plethora of resources that I have compiled for you all at the website flourishintheforeign.com slash resources. You will find a book list to help you get, stay, and thrive abroad, as well as the build a business abroad guide and moving abroad with intention guide. All right. Let's continue the show. Next, we have Star. And if you remember, Star and her family are based in Budapest, Hungary. And she talked about how starting a blog just to talk about her own experience about being a black girl in Budapest has then evolved into a full-fledged business. So Black Girl in Budapest started off as a blog. It's just a journey of my life, seeing things in the city, going to all the monuments. And so from there, it turned into a whole lot more where people were asking me questions about becoming an expat. So I have expat services where I help you. We can get on the phone call. I can answer any questions. So people reach out for me in that capacity on helping them get connected with the right people, looking for a realtor, a school for their child. And sometimes it's just to ask, how is it being Black in Budapest? What are the problems? So I'm always open and willing to have a conversation. So there's always that service that I provide. And then the tourists are always coming in and they're just looking for, what do you do for the weekend? So I have a book coming out. It's for the tourists. It's called uh, Black Girl's Guide to Budapest. And I'm really excited. It has a three-day trip guide planner in it, tips and tricks on saving money and how to get around and different things like that, as well as just doing the, the monthly community events where we meet up and do karaoke and things like that. So for tourists, for expats, and definitely for moms, because I became a mom in Budapest and I can definitely help with that journey because it is very hard to figure out where the dance camp is or the, the cheerleading camp or whatever you're looking for. And I'm tapped into so many communities at this point that I can always help out. Wait, there's cheerleading camp in Hungary? Yes, and there's a black cheerleading coach. He's amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you, you have to find them. But I found them. I found them for everybody. So there's cheerleading, there's dancing, there's soccer, there's there's even football, American football, if you want it. So yeah, it's all about being tapped in. As a fellow entrepreneur, I'm always curious to learn about how easy or how difficult it is to be an entrepreneur as a foreigner in countries. What are the regulations? What are the requirements? How long does it take? So I asked Star how she has built her business abroad. So yes, 
like in America, there's the LLC. You have to incorporate your, or whatever you decide to do, you have to incorporate your company. Everything I do is as if I'm in America. So it was just the easiest way for me. So everything gets paid to my American accounts. It was just the easiest way for me. But in Hungary, there is a thing called Kafta, which is a long process with a ton of paperwork where you can do billing and things through your company that way. So that is also in creating this list of Black-owned businesses in Budapest, some people actually took their name off the list because they're working under the table, which is totally, I support that, like live your best life. But with the Black Lives Matter movement happening, they wanted their name off the list just in case there was backlash. Me and this lady who has an amazing business, she's an English teacher and she also teaches Hungarian. She's Black. And we're going to teach a course to all the Black-owned businesses on how to incorporate your business here in Hungary, the legal way, the right way, because it seems like the people that were backing out just hadn't gone through that process yet. And we're also just learning. And so they want to go through that process. So I'm really excited to get that going. Next, we have Jamila and Jamila is in Buenos Aires. Yes, her story was about how making a decision to join a tango class on a whim with the encouragement of her friends after her divorce really and truly changed her entire life and had her move to Buenos Aires, Argentina, where she is thriving and also where she has built a business around tango. Another thing that kind of fell into my lap is this tango business, Buenos Aires Milonga Tours. It's basically a boutique tour company focused around tango and giving people that travel to Buenos Aires a more realistic tango experience. A lot of people come to Buenos Aires as just a place in South America that you want to try. A lot of people come to the city, spend maybe a week here and spend some time in Brazil. And so they're not really coming to Buenos Aires with the intention to immerse themselves in tango, but they want to know something about tango and kind of experience it. The problem with what happens is if you're in a hotel and you ask the concierge about tango, they're probably just going to send you to a tango show. And tango shows are great. I have friends that work in tango shows, but tango shows are basically like Broadway productions of tango. You sit in an audience with your drinks and you watch people dance on stage. And they're highly trained dancers and they are amazing and beautiful, but you don't get to experience tango. And what I was feeling is that a lot of people come and they go to the show and then they see these dancers that have been dancing for 20 years. They're all tall and thin and beautiful and can do the splits and put their legs behind their head and and then people are like, well, tango is, a, you know, it's like acrobatics. It's a thing I can't do. And there's nothing further from the truth. Tango, the, the dance, the culture of tango is very much a dance for all people and all bodies and is not what you necessarily see on Dancing with the Stars. So what my company does is we offer bespoke tours where I can bring in, I have a teacher um, that I work with, and sometimes I teach the classes as well. We can do 
private, single people up to company groups. We've done events for companies that were having meetings here and wanted to, to organize something for their team. We provide classes. We can take you to a milongas. A milonga is like a nightclub, but that they only dance tango. <laughs> and you you go with dancers. You go and sit at the table with me and my friends from all over the world, from Argentina, and kind of be more in the experience of what it is like to be part of the tango culture. We talk about historical information about the codes and rules, and which there are lots of, of the milonga, about music. What I try to do is give you a more authentic experience of what tango is more than just what you would see performed on Dancing with the Stars, more than what you would just see dancing in a show. Next, we have Morgan. If you remember, Morgan is a diplomat currently based in Uganda. And I loved her story because she shared what having a career in international development is like, but also spoke about her love of her businesses and how and why she decided to create the businesses that she has. So I asked her first, what made her want to become a published author? And then what made her want to launch her Molo Global business? I initially started looking for books that could kind of capture some of the experiences that my children were having, like traveling, etc. And so the first book I wrote was called Escape from the Baggage Claim. It's available on Amazon, uh, Kindle. But basically, whenever we would get to a destination, my daughter would always complain at how long it took to get our bags. And so I, I literally just wrote this really lighthearted children's story about the baggage claim and one day when her bag didn't come out, she decided to go in and figure out what was going on. It was only then that she saw that there was a troll inside <laughs> that was holding her bag. And she had to answer a series of questions to, to be able wow. to get her bag. So that was, that was one. The most recent book that I published is called The Trip of Your Dreams. And that's available also on Amazon. It's now at Barnes & Noble and Target as well. And basically that book was a sort of wanting to spur particularly African-American children to want to see the world. I think, as I mentioned, it was a little bit later in life that I got a passport, but I now have children who had a passport as young as one month old. <laughs> and so wanting to just put out there, these are the different opportunities for you to travel. And so this book actually follows uh, a girl who dreams about her perfect trip and sort of, it takes her to all these different destinations, Sri Lanka, Turks and Caicos, Kenya, and allows her to sort of come up with what she wants to do. And her parents sort of encourage her as she goes along. On top of being a foreign service officer, a mother, a wife, and an author, Morgan is also an entrepreneur and she has a consulting company. And I asked her to tell us all about it. I also have a consulting company called Molo Global Consulting. And we effectively do writing, editing, proofreading, publishing. We're just sort of like a, a wholesale document review shop. We're really interested on the editing side and just helping people like be their best selves through writing. So we do resumes, CVs, we do internal documents, we do 
proposals, any sort of document that you need done, we can do it. But I would say the interesting, unique thing about us is that we have a team of consultants that have different expertise. So we have folks that are specialized in finance, policy, different sort of areas, healthcare, that can really not just provide that critical copy edit eye, but also provide like detailed technical feedback on documents. And so that's something that I had sort of already been doing it. And I realized that friends would contact me and say, hey, I need help with my CV or can you help me with this? And so I realized that I'd already been doing it. And so I just had a conversation with a couple of friends one day and they said, you need to start that as a business. I had initially thought about just doing a publishing company. And so we do have a publishing arm as well. But I thought that actually, let's not just think about books, but what are sort of all the different types of documents that people could use and need support to develop. Next, we have Jessie. And if you remember from her story, Jessie is an incredible artist and creative, was based in the Bay Area where she met her French husband. They decided to move to Paris to live together and start their life. And then they decided to move to Strasbourg, France to raise their children. In her episode, Jessie talks about her experience working in an advertising firm in Paris and how it kind of was the impetus for her to create her own thing, create her own brand, the wildly popular Etta V brand that just recently launched a line with Pottery Barn Kids, amongst all the other amazing licensing ventures she's involved with. So I asked her to tell me about the origin story of her brand and how it has evolved while living in France. I had opened a shop on Etsy where I was selling artwork and art prints. And during my lunch breaks, I would go and ship what I needed to ship and then go back to work. And so I would come home from work in the evenings and I would try to think of new prints that I can put in my Etsy shop. And then on the weekends, I was packing and shipping. And it was like, it was really like working all the time. And it was also cool because while I was at work, if my husband was at home, he would get you know, my orders printed for me. It was really cool. That's kind of a little side hustle that I started while I was working there. And it turned into my full-time job. It got to the point where I was like, look, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I'm not enjoying this working at an ad agency anymore. And I really just wanted to be my own boss and do my own thing. And really, I had felt I had so many ideas that needed to just come out and I needed to honor that feeling that I was having. I saved up money, I think about like four to six months worth to cover expenses and stuff. And I was like, okay, like I'm just going to give this a real go and focus on my Etsy shop <laughs> and Edevy, which does sound crazy, but honestly, it wasn't such a crazy jump to make just because the biggest jump I made was moving to France in the first place. And when you leave the US rat race or like the work structure that is put in front of us and you break that already by moving abroad, I was like, I'm abroad and I shouldn't feel miserable. I already did the hard part. Why not just try? 
I asked Jessie to tell me how her business had evolved from Etsy shop to being in major retailers. My business, how it evolved, it's, I started off on Etsy selling art prints. And uh, little by little, I started adding hand-painted canvases. Now, I've been doing art my whole life. I started art classes oof, when I was maybe four. It's just always been a hobby of mine. And I knew that I was like, okay, well, I, I would like to get out of art prints and more into fine art. And that was just the natural progression of my business. With Instagram being a thing, it was great to be able to kind of start to figure out how I could use that to grow my business. My sister-in-law, she used to be a big blogger in France back in the day. And she taught me how to use Instagram for my business. She was like, listen, it's the same thing. She was like, this is what you need to do. This is like who you need to reach out to. This is how, la, la, la. And she really was just so important in helping me learn how to hone my social media skills. And little by little, I started getting a following. I started selling more and more artwork. I got off of Etsy, opened my own web store. And after a couple of years, my artwork got picked up by a store. I think it was the first one was TJ Maxx. And it was just great just to be able to start licensing my artwork. I got picked up by art agents. And we started to collaborate with a whole, whole bunch of amazing clients and manufacturers and retailers. And it's funny because I feel like I went from, you know, working on the kitchen table while on a part-time job to really making this a brand. I turned my art from just artwork into a brand. And it was, it was such a cool path to travel and um, managing it even today. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. I'm always learning and growing and trying to figure out how I can best run my business. And I, I think what is most important is really having a vision of where you want it to go. I would say that where I am today is the vision that I had maybe four years ago. And the first year out of my full-time job was very rocky. It was just trying everything, just slinging mud and seeing what sticks. And so you, I think it's true. You kind of do have to go through it to find your groove. And while you're going through it, you're really just training yourself to be even more agile for when it all clicks together. I asked Jessie to tell me how she manages her business tax obligations living in France. It's something I had always been just trying to figure out. From the get-go, my business is registered as an LLC in the U.S. And now I am actually working with an accountant in France and the proper way that I should be doing it is that my business is a French company and I pay taxes in France first. And then when it's time to do taxes in the U.S., anything that is over a certain amount, I have to also pay in the U.S. That's where that is at the moment. So this was just a little taste of some of the incredible women that I've had on the show that have businesses 
There are actually more women that have businesses on the show, but I only took a little sampling size because, you know, the episode is long enough, actually. I just wanted to compile it for you all because in case you are thinking to yourself, I can't do it, that's for other people, or it's only if you do X, Y, and Z. Maybe you only think it's if you have a certain skill set. Obviously, from listening to this compilation, you have probably understood that you can build a business based off of anything abroad. You can sell physical products. It can be completely digital products. It can be service-based. It can be experiences. You can do whatever you want to do. You can do it. It's just about deciding that you're going to do it and that you have the right idea and the right support to make it happen. And so if you have been thinking about wanting to start a business abroad, I highly encourage you to one, download my Build a Business Abroad guide, fill that out, but also come and join me for a Build a Business Abroad workshop in which I'm going to talk about the ins and outs of building a business abroad and answer some of your questions about building a business abroad and also talk about the Build a Business Abroad group coaching that I'm about to launch. If you are someone who is on the fence and wants to build a business abroad, but you want that community and you also want the time and space for it to evolve. Sometimes we have you know, time constraints on how much time we can give to a business, which is completely fine. Sometimes you can't go all full time immediately with it. Sometimes you can only put an hour a day, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, which is completely fine. As you do that consistently, it will take off you. It will snowball. So perhaps you're wanting an approach in which you can utilize the support of community and also some of the strategy and the, some of the game planning that I've developed over the years from launching businesses not only myself, but also with my clients, how to go abroad and build that business, how to do so and build a business that's in alignment with who you are. Something that you can feel professionally fulfilled from, but also can be financially abundant for you. Something that can support yourself while you're abroad. How to do that, how to develop it, how to go through the many rounds of iteration that people have to go through until you hit on the right and perfect idea or the right and perfect product. If that's something interesting to you, then I invite you to join the workshop and learn more about Build a Business Abroad group coaching, in which I am going to be launching quite soon. So if you're interested in it, the registration link is in the show notes and description of this episode. Join me and let's turn that wish and that dream that's been on your heart for years, that thought, that idea that you keep on having, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Let's actually put some action behind it. Let's actually turn it into a business because let me tell you one of the things that people don't understand is that if you get started and you're consistent the doors will open the pathway will be revealed and you can really create a business that you're not only proud about but you're really helping other people you're really being of service it's really in alignment with who you are your personal ethos and also it can financially support you and remember it is not about going abroad it definitely isn't about just being abroad it is about thriving abroad so go abroad and cultivate a life well lived See you next time. Bye.
on the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. My entire adulthood has been shaped by living abroad. I left my home country at 18, so all of my adult years has been spent abroad. So coming into my own has been another journey that travel has shaped, whether it is moving again to Paris and living on my own, navigating independence. I come back to the theme of learning how to be alone healthily a lot because I think that was the biggest lesson that I had to learn and I think that's the biggest thing that travel has taught me or given me is the gift of learning to be alone in a good way because I grew up in this concept of a very communal concept. I had a lot of extended family so I had never really learned how to exist on my own really.